Hello and welcome to BB On The Record, this podcast from British Bandsman. I'm Mark Good, editor of British Bandsman. Thank you so much for joining me. In this episode, I chat to conductor and cornet player extraordinaire Russell Gray. From growing up in the once-famous Clydebank Borough Band, to playing with Black Dyke and conducting bands to victory all over the world, including at the Royal Albert Hall, Russell has and continues to enjoy a glittering musical career. He's also keen to share his experience and help inspire the next generation of brass band conductors, and Russell's new book, The Mesonoic Method, A Conductor's Toolkit, is one way he's hoping to offer some guidance. I started by asking Russell how the new conducting manual came to fruition. Um, It's been something I've been living with for 20 years, actually, ever since I started conducting. Drawing it together, I turned 50 a couple of years ago, and I thought, well, do you know what? It's time to share my secrets with the world at large. And um, I did a a book called 101 Things to Do with a Hymn Tune about 10 years ago, and it, it, it... went out of print and it didn't really successfully get out there the way I wanted it to. And I had a publisher, Peter Frank, uh, Music Verlag in Switzerland, who was asking me all the time, can I publish it? Can I publish it? So eventually I just sat down and and did it. But it's it's been quite a long process um, and I enjoyed it, developing the idea. It really is focused on the beginning of a rehearsal and what, what do you do in the first five or ten minutes? I'm sure if conductors listen haven't already got it, they'll be very keen to do so. But what can they expect? Is this something that's drawn from your own personal experience? Yes, it is. Uh, When I started conducting properly, professionally, 20 years ago now, um, I was in Norway. I was uh, living in Stavanger. And um, the first year, of course, was a tremendous learning curve for me. um, And it helped that they had engaged uh, commissioned by the Norwegian government, they had engaged two psychologists um, to work with the band for 12 months with the with the view of, of printing a booklet that helped amateur uh, music organizations really um, develop and maximize the productivity during the rehearsal time. So, of course, for me, learning to conduct, this was v- invaluable experience. And, um, of course, traditionally in the brass band world, we always start with a hymn tune we play a hymn tune at the beginning for reasons best known to the, somebody else uh, when i was a kid i was doing it in the band i grew up in never really knew why um but this year with the psychologist we really nutted out good reasons for and it started there it's about maximizing productivity everybody arrives at the band room um at a different speed everybody's had their own kind of a day from the moment they wake up in the morning as they said you you pick up baggage all day some people are there plenty of time warming up really relaxed and some people arrive at the last minute in a great hurry and the job really in the first five minutes is to be able to bring everybody in line mentally as well as physically and try and synchronize everybody's thoughts as to why they're there so to play a hymn tune is great, but to do something with the hymn tune that challenges everybody in some aspect of ensemble playing will then carry into the rest of the rehearsal with that relaxed focus that everybody's on the same page. Um, I've called it hive thinking. 
in addition to your new method, you also run courses in conducting and under usual circumstances, you would have been running your annual conducting course in Scotland around this time of the year. Why do you feel it's important to share your skills with other conductors and guide them in this way? It's a very difficult subject, conducting. Very rare that you've got the opportunity to study properly at a conservatoire or a college of music somewhere. There's a particular time of your life where you can do that. But um, there's an awful lot of community conductors that have inherited a baton and are then presumed to know what to do with it. And I found in the world that we live in, the brass band world, a lot of conductors have just, as I said, inherited the baton and they don't really have the, the tools to know how to develop a band and they're really left floundering. For me personally, I realised that after I'd done the master's degree, I realised that there was a gap. The, the, the standard of conducting, everybody's doing their best and self-taught conductors, you can get so far. But then the relationship of what you're actually doing with your hands and what the music is telling you sometimes doesn't add up. So a lot of bands perform very well because of what's been verbally done in the band room. But the the link between band and conductor can be so much more efficient if the movements directly co correlate with the music. Um, so the, the courses that I do are trying to provide these community conductors that have inherited a baton that don't have time to go to college to study it properly. I'm trying to provide them with a forum where they can come together, network with each other, which is also important because the job of conducting is, a, as you know, is a, is a lone wolf kind of existence. Um, so it's nice to get together, share ideas, talk about different techniques, repertoire, try some baton exercises that I've picked up in my professional studies. Um, and through that, it's, it's really become quite a popular thing. I see more conducting courses springing up in other places. Alan Withington does one, of course, very successfully over in the Netherlands. Community conductors are realising that this is a this is a potential, this is a way forward, um, and it's okay. Of course, we have to learn conducting. The only way to learn it is in front of live musicians. Also, with my, my hat on as the president of the National Association of Brass Band Conductors, I think it's really important that we, as an organisation, try and sort of lead that charge. You travel quite extensively just throughout your professional career. When you look around and you see conductors at their work, do you think there is quite a bit that needs to be done to help bring up the standard in band conducting? I think certainly. As I said, it's getting better. There are more and more avenues for conductors to, to go down. But I do, I do think sometimes the standard can be quite poor. And it's no fault of the conductor. It's just they're left without any tool. You like sink or swim and they don't have a lifeboat or a life jacket or this. So I can see there's a need for this. At what point did being a conductor come upon your radar as an avenue you wanted to pursue? I think it's something I've always grown up with. I was asked this and I'd forgotten all about it and buried it in the back of my mind. But I remember forming a concert band in Clyde Bank through high school. Just me and my buddy, we thought this would be a good idea to meet girls. And <laughs> we got the community uh, centre, we organised rehearsals. I even got a grant from the council to put on a concert and buy music stands, music. We got to our first rehearsal. I think we had about 15 players, so that was quite good, spread over two or three high schools. 
quite a nice mix. And then me and my buddy, we looked at each other and realized, well, who's going to conduct? So we flipped a coin and I got the conducting job. <laughs> so it started there. And I think I was 14. We did the concert and we had a party and that was the end of the band. We did with no thought of actually continuing on past the concert. Um, and then I put my conducting to bed and went to college and studied cornet and played. And I was a cornet player, trumpet player. My second study was trumpet. It, halfway through my first year, I thought, I'm cheating. Trumpet's so close to cornet, and I'm really cheating here. Um, and I thought, well, here's a chance. Can I do second study conducting? Which had never been thought about at the university. It was Huddersfield University I went to. And uh, they developed, I did the three modules, basics, and then I wanted to take it further. So I studied it at college the first time round. And then I did community banding, fourth section banding. I played with Dyke, conducted Hornley Silver, just outside Huddersfield. As a student, you have to supplement your income. And um, a lot of my friends there were getting waiter work in restaurants or working in a bar or McDonald's or somewhere like that. And I thought, well, I'll conduct a band. I can earn in four hours what my mates were earning in four days. And it's on subject. So it was a no-brainer, really. As you've touched on, you grew up in Clydebank in Western Bartonshire, which for anybody listening who may not be familiar, it's not too far from Glasgow. But was it inevitable for you that you would head south to pursue your studies? Were you looking towards those banding heartlands? My inspiration... In those days, um, I played with a, ba a band called the Dumbartonshire Wind Ensemble when I was 10, 11 years old. It was conducted by Trevor Green in those days, and it was a really good band. I was on trumpet, but I, I was getting a little bit frustrated counting bars rest. So the orchestral thing and the wind band thing for a 10, 11-year-old, all I saw was me sitting with my cornet on my, on my trumpet on my knee, listening to others playing. And then I joined Clydebank Borough Band. And of course, then you're playing all the time. So that was fun. So the banding thing was quite deeply ingrained for the enjoyment. Seeing down the line, the best band in the world were south of the border. So I always had in mind, because playing at the National Youth Band of Scotland, um, principal corners at the time was Neil Smith, who was playing assistant principal at Ferries in Manchester in Stockport. And the conductor at that time was Geoffrey Brand, who was also Fairy's musical director. So I always thought I'm going to grow up enjoying Fairies. And I ended up bumping into Philip McCann, who was playing principal at Dyke at the time. And he turned me and wanted to teach me in Huddersfield and said, why don't you join Black Dyke? That, that thought was a dream come true. So that's why I went south. It was inevitable from an early age. As you look back on your conducting career, so far, you've had so many wonderful, wonderful experiences, concerts, contests, and so on. Are you able to pick any one out to say that it's your proudest moment as a conductor? Well, there's many, many occasions. There's a few that, that float to the top. One significant one was my debut at the Albert Hall. In fact, a lot of my highlights have been at the Albert Hall. I've got a good relationship with that one. My debut was with a band called Ransoms who sadly no longer exist, but they um, they were doing quite well. They were a very good band, and it was Harris's dream, Peter Graham, um, and we came second to Corey. I think it was Bob Child's first appearance at the Albert Hall as well, so the two debutants got first and second that day. Um, and with Corey being a Welsh band, my ransom band qualified for the European Championships. 
that was a really good way to start my conducting career in in the UK um, with that result. And I, I lived off that for a number of years. Um, and then in 2005, of course, Leyland, we won with Eden. Uh, and Leyland were in some disarray in the August. They were they had about 15 players, no concerts, no band room, no money, no hope. And uh, a couple of months later, we won the national championships in London. So that was a, a, a really tremendous uh, fairy tale ending. And Leyland have gone on and done great things since then, of course. But for me, that was a, a proud moment because Leyland was a band that played and spent many years on Principal Cornet, so a band that's very close to my heart. And then I got asked to take Foden's, uh, my current band, and uh, of course we won the Nationals with Handel in the Band a couple of years ago. And that was a fantastic experience, getting back in front of that fantastic band. Not too many rehearsals, it was a really fast roller coaster ride that ended up with a great result. Will, you've touched on that particular performance, and indeed You've chosen that as your piece of the podcast, so let's listen to Russell Gray conducting Foden's Band in its winning performance from the 2018 National Brass Band Championships, Kenneth Downey's Handel in the Band.
the sound of Foden's band, its winning performance from the 2018 National Brass Band Championships of Great Britain, under the baton of my guest, Russell Gray. Russell, we've spoken about your proudest moments as a conductor. Are there any experiences that you'd perhaps rather forget and consign to history? <laughs> well, <laughs> one or two, um, yes. Because I've consigned them to history, I'm struggling to recollect any moment. A couple of contest performances where maybe something hasn't gone quite to plan in the early stages, like the second bar of the piece. And then you stand there and you think, this is going to be the longest 20 minutes of my life. And it is. <laughs> and these things happen. You just have to grin and bear it. Um, yeah, I'm not going to name names or shame people, but, you know, it happens. It's called live music and it makes the it makes the highs so much higher, doesn't it? How do you deal with moments where, where circumstances don't pan out as you might wish for whatever reason? As you've said yourself, conducting can be rather a lonely business and there's often a great deal more to it than the musical side that we all see in, in the public eye. So how does one deal with it when things aren't all rosy in the garden, as it were? In terms of being engaged to try to win a contest with a band and the band's movie not quite there, I don't lose too much sleep over it in, in the sense because my job really is to try to maximise their potential as an ensemble. If the band's not going to be threatening the top three prizes, it doesn't actually matter to me. What does matter to me is that, that I can solve the problems and get them to their potential on stage. So the lead up, it's always a, it's like a jigsaw puzzle, just putting the pieces in the right place or pressing the right buttons at the right time. And, you know, some people need nurturing, some people need pushing, some, you know, that's always a challenge. So when things don't quite add up, I quite like the challenge of trying to solve the problem. On the other hand, 90% of the time I spend in front of bands that have issues. And it's about being creative and, and hiding those weaknesses and trying to shine up and polish up the things that they do well. Occasionally, then, the other side, I get to stand in front of a band like Foden's or a symphony orchestra. In I work with Oborg Symphony Orchestra in Denmark. You've got all the bells and whistles. The only limit is your imagination. And that's like breathing fresh air. It's, it's wonderful. But it makes you think on a different level. Things not quite lining up is the norm rather than the exception. And it's about pressing the right buttons and reading people and, and, and just working through those problems to maximise potential all the time. Let's say you're engaged to conduct a, a top-level group that you haven't worked with before. Do you have a particular strategy? Is there a game plan that you have in mind? Or is it just about being very, very honest about what you do and, and being very prepared with the scores that you're going to work with? Yeah, preparation is everything, really. Um, I'm very lucky now in my career when I get asked to go and do something, pretty much it's by reputation. They've, they actively want me to be there. The moment I walk into the room, I'm, I'm aware of what people expect, people's expectations of what they're going to get from you. Some bands, have great reputations and the only thing I can do is be honest and be myself. Largely it's myself and my personality that's got me to where I've got. So why change that? However, if I if I walk into, for example, a symphony orchestra for the first time and they know I'm a cornet player and not a string player, then my 
expectations might be set lower and I have to be maybe a little bit more careful how I approach them. You touched on some of your work with symphony orchestras there and you yeah. did return to Scotland to pursue postgraduate studies in conducting and that's perhaps taken you into some other musical realms. How do you yeah. think that has helped you in broadening your musical outlook? Well, it certainly makes me think in a different way with my baton technique. Uh, I can influence players to do things by how I carry my baton from beat to beat. And just imagining how string players would tackle a, a particular phrase or how an oboe player would play something or you know, working with these people, you get ideas. So I can, I can think on a broader horizon. Orchestral requirements are quite substantially different from a brass band, but I think it, it has enhanced what I can do in front of a band. I was talking earlier about the gesture with the baton being in connection with the music. That's what that's all about, really. So we've spoken about your conducting work from the practical engagements to the teaching and the development of your conducting method. In and amongst all that, do you still get time to pick up a cornet? Uh, yes, I do. I play with my wife's band, Eccles, when they need me. I've been registered with them for a number of years. And uh, I find myself floating around the cornet section, uh, plugging gaps where needed, which is great fun. Um, Yamaha still engaged me to do some playing for them. Um, occasionally, I'll get to play solo guest appearances with some bands. Um, and I've got my Neo Brass Ensemble that uh, get together once every year or so to do a little mini tour. Um, and I lead some great players, all Yamaha artists for that. So the playing's not regular, but it's enough to keep me interested. It's, it's good. It keeps me practising. If you are just through the nature of your work, if you're travelling around and conducting and maybe flying about quite a lot, and then you know you've got a playing engagement coming up, what's your strategy there to make sure that things are, are just so? It takes me... I'm very lucky. I can play quite naturally. I have done my 10,000 hours of practice in my life, believe me. I am quite lucky that if I'm conducting and I've got engagements, I don't need to take my cornet with me. Um, I cannot see my cornet for up to two months at a time. If I've got an engagement to play, I can bring it out. I know how it all works. I know, how, I know the physics of playing. So I really look after the basics. I've got quite a strict rehearsal schedule that I, I share with people that really helps me get back on track in two weeks. 10 or 15 years ago, it took me one week. Now it's taken me two weeks, sometimes three, to get myself up to where I want to be. If there comes a point where I put my cornet back in its case after an engagement and I think, well, you know, I didn't really get away with that, then I'll have to ask myself some questions about playing and how I approach it. But so far, I'm quite happy. I, I'm not trying to be the best cornet player in the world anymore. I'm trying to be me. I'm bringing my own personality to it. I've got my own sounds, got my own style. People pay their money and take their chance. If it's good, it's great. If it's not so good, people still enjoy it. I'm, I'm able with age to keep things in perspective. I just have a bit of fun with it. And I think the more fun I have with my playing, that in itself um, allows me space to have, have moments of brilliance and some moments of less brilliance. It doesn't really matter. It all adds up to a good night.
So Russell, we've spoken about this musical career which started off in Clydebank and now sees you working with some of the very best bands around. As you look across that career, who would you pick out to say has been your biggest musical influence? Oh boy, that's tough. I've met so many wonderful people all the way through. Early on, I had wonderful teaching. Um, Nigel Bodis, who many of your listeners will, will know, was principal trumpet with the Scottish Symphony Orchestra. He was conducting Clyde Bank Band. He had a big influence on my early days. He's known me since I was 10 years old. He put me on to one of his colleagues at the orchestra, Geoffrey Bolt, who taught me regularly on a weekly basis privately. Clydebank High School, we had Gordon Campbell, principal trombone with the BBC Big Band, and Alan Pash, who was principal trombone with the Scottish Opera. So I had professionals teaching me from 10 years old, that early part. And then Philip McCann took me on for four years. So there was a great learning curve. Philip, of course, is an iconic cornet player with his own style and, and still really up there. So I can't thank him enough. In terms of conducting, early days, Major Peter Parks. I sat under him at Dyke, Geoffrey Brand with National Youth Band of Scotland, Nigel again, conducting me at Clyde Bank. Um, and then after that, I sat with Richard Evans for many years at Leyland, Howard Fnell. I played at Foden's um, on Principal Cornet with him. And then looking beyond that, Bramwell Tovey, big influence. Um, but then you're looking at other influences. Um, I had Alistair Mitchell as my professor at the academy, wonderful technician, great teacher. Stefan Deneuve, who was the principal conductor of the Royal Scottish Orchestra. They, they've been great. But then I look at YouTube and I'm, I'm encouraged to listen and watch Celebadaki, Bernstein. You start going into orchestral conductors and looking at how they're doing things and looking at them with knowledge of the subject as well. You can see the subtleties. So, And I'm still influenced by people. Dudumel is a wonderful educator and uh, enthusiast and wonderful technician as well. So you never stop learning, and I've still got mentors and people I admire, hopefully for a very long time to come. So here we are in the midst of this lockdown period. What should the coming weeks and months have had in store for you before plans were perhaps turned upside down? <laughs> I had a really full diary. I was looking forward to the European <laughs> Championships, the Lithuanian Championships, the European Championships, the Grand Shield. Um, my conducting course in Scotland, I had a conducting course in Switzerland and I should have been in Italy in Rome in May um, and then the conductors competition in June. The Swiss National Youth Band course at the moment is still on so I'm hoping that end of June into July I can start doing things again but uh, at the moment I've got 10 weeks of this. That's it for this episode of BB On The Record. Thank you so much for listening. Remember, you can enjoy a digital subscription to British Bandsmen. It costs just £42.99 for one year. Just go to britishbandsmen.com and click on subscribe. You can also find British Bandsmen on Facebook and Twitter. It would be great to keep in touch with you there. Join me next time on BB On The Record. Bye for now.